Antonio Real Estate Climate Show. This is a market analysis done by John Barr III of, he's down here, John Barr III of Prime Home. And we have Marco Romero. Oh, he's over this way, I think. Marco Romero talking about the real estate market analysis. And they'll talk about why this is important. But really, guys, there is no other single location that you can go anywhere on the internet or outside the internet that contains all the data you need to know about the real estate market in San Antonio. So this is an all-encompassing um, you know, market analysis, and John and Marco are going to talk about it, make it exciting, and answer your questions. So if you have any questions, please, please, please ask your questions live. We will help you go through and understand how to use this information to grow your wealth. Okay, so John and Marco, why don't you guys take it away? All right, thanks, Kirk. Uh, good morning, and hello, everybody, for the second episode of the Real Estate uh, Climate. Number two. Oh, number two. So we'll go ahead and kind of get into this here, and then keep in mind why this stuff is important, why we think everybody should really pay attention to these things, is you kind of got to understand the history of real estate, of where it's been, where it's currently at now, so you can better position yourself to take advantage of uh, opportunities in the future. So we'll go ahead and start uh, with the first slide. If you're trying to grow wealth, this is the information that you need to be learning. Correct. Correct. Uh, so you need to stay on top of these things to kind of see where the market's going. So the April, May uh, numbers of how they, they break down was the average sales price in San Antonio's rose to 270324 which is a 5.49% increase year over year. So anytime you see the YOY, that is how much it changed from this time the previous year. Median sales price jumped up to 219167 which is a 6.9% increase from last year. Total sales dropped a little bit to 3091 which is a 1.3% de decrease from this time last year. Uh, and I kind of attribute that, like why are sales volumes dropping but prices going up? I think a lot of it is coming down to we have such little inventory anymore. I mean, everyone hears it that we're shortage of income or entry-level homes. Uh, and inventory is very tight, so it's pushing prices up. But I think sales are dropping because people aren't selling their homes, which is going to put even more pressure on prices to increase. Uh, the average rental price rose to just shy of 1500 which is a 0.9% increase from last year. Employment of San Antonio – uh, just over 1.15 million people, which is a 3.12% increase from last year. And we gained 4,500 jobs from last month. Unemployment, We're putting people uh, to work. Putting people to work. In San we are. And uh, I don't know if, how many people have saw the article, but for the first quarter of 26, uh, 2018, I can't get the year right. Uh, first quarter of 2018, San Antonio gained the most people of any city in the entire United States. So we are booming here in San Antonio. And I think Texas alone had 10 or five of the 10 on that list for uh, people moving in. So, that alone increases prices and demand for housing. So unemployment. Way, could, um, just real quick, I wanted to say hello to Nick um, and Ian and Juanita and Hillary and all the people joining us live. So doing a great job. Sorry to interrupt, John. Just want to say we got some people joining us live and saying hello to San Antonio. So I wanted to make sure we gave them some love as well. Make sure to, to put your comments below. John is giving you guys some awesome information about the market analysis. I, I just interrupted him as he was talking about unemployment or uh, the employment rates and things like that. But so go into that some more. Sorry, John, keep going. Yeah, no problem. And, and, and yeah, everybody appreciate it for signing in. You have questions? Uh, definitely interrupt us if I miss take, it. Questions take below. advantage of putting the questions here. We got John here. It's a limited video, limited time. So we want to answer your questions. But to go to your point, John, about all those people moving to San Antonio, but particularly Texas, I think all those people were that now they have that saying where maybe they weren't born in Texas, but they got here as soon as they could. Exactly, exactly. I agree. Um, and to go with that is like our decreased uh, 0.33 from last month on the unemployment. So people are moving here and we are putting them to work. So that is uh, great news for San Antonio. But what it also does, it creates a very tight uh, housing market. 
So you look at the months of inventory and we dropped below three. And now you got to remember what months of inventory really mean is uh, you have a buyer market and a seller market. And they, they gauge that by months of inventory. So anytime you see six months of inventory, that is considered your balance between buyer and seller. And what that means is if no new housing came on the market in all of San Antonio, it would take six months for the market to absorb that inventory. So once it drops below six, it becomes a seller's market because there are buyers wanting to buy and not enough people wanting to sell. So something to keep in mind. So we're at 2.97 means we're in a very hot market. So what do you, uh, um, John, John, what this, do you think that if I'm a, uh, like if I, if I make my living doing rentals, for instance, how, how do you think that would affect the rental business? I think the rental prices, I mean, rental space is a very good one to be in if you already have rentals, uh, because if they can't find housing and they don't want to live in an apartment, like their only other option is to move into a rental property for a while so they can find a house. So there's a lot of pressure on rental prices, and you'll see in some future slides of that is really increasing as well. What does become difficult is trying to buy a rental property now. Uh, because prices are really up there and it's a very tight housing market. So prices are going up, but rents tend to take longer to increase over time versus uh, price. And you'll kind of see that here shortly. But the, the, other, the, benefit, and- the other benefit for people that own uh, rentals currently is because um, you know prices are going up, that, that appreciation is increasing on the value of the properties. Those people that own their rentals as landlords can then go to the banks and get cash out refis and refinance right. those properties and tap into the equity that they're building in their in their houses just by holding the house. And that's one of the ways that you kind of win-win. You're able to take advantage of some of the equity, you put some money in your pocket, but additionally you keep getting that cash flow every single month. So it's a win-win. It, it, correct, it is. Uh, so the month's inventory has dropped. Uh, we dropped three-tenths from last month and uh, we're 3% lower than this time last year. So very hot housing market. And you can see with the next slide uh, how median sales prices have really increased over time. And you can, one thing, it's hard to determine, but we, last year we did not get till, we peaked out of the median sales price of 215,000. And that was in July. This year we hit 219 in May. So it's getting faster. You can see how fast that line really took off. And I'm actually to the point where next month, if it goes up again, I'm going to have to add 220 onto my mark because it's kind of blowing it off. What does concern me a little bit, why I say it's important to understand where the market has been, you can see from the average historical appreciation of real estate hovers around 3 to 4%. Uh, and you can see we bottomed out here in San Antonio in January of 2011. And that was at a price of 135000 And now, fast forward seven years, or six and a half years, and we're at almost 220000 That's a lot more than 3 to 4%. That's hitting fives and sixes on average. So it's something to watch and see, do we have a cooling off or do we start to level out? Because it cannot maintain prices going up 6% every single year. And those are our cycles. So... Another thing to go off of is why it goes up and down is like those are the cycles of the year. So summertime, median sales prices increase, more inventory drops. That's when school's out. That's when everybody is moving around and uh, is trying to buy houses. And you see a little blip in December there because that's when people are trying to get into their new houses before the beginning of the year. Uh, so something to really watch. Marco, you got anything? Yeah, the two, the two biggest months of the year when it comes to real estate are June and July. Uh, There's some spillover around those areas, but those are kind of the key mark months. Because it's my birthday in July? Is that what? uh, That might be part of it. That might be part of it. They're so excited. They want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. July July 1st for Kirk, by the way, anyone that's making notes. Coming up. So uh, those are the two big months. All this data that... um, John's going over here is uh, around the May month time frame. There might be some April stuff in there as well. Um, so this is a little bit, um, we're not quite seeing the biggest months yet, but like he was saying, already in May, there it's you, there's a big uptick and he's noticing that. And as he was mentioning, when it comes to the valuations and the high, you know, the, those big increases in the median sales price and those numbers, 
yes, those numbers are going up and that is an opportunity that you can take advantage of. But whenever you're dealing in a realm where you're above averages and medians, um, you need to be cautious simultaneously. So yes, you might want to position yourself so you can take advantage of these uh, trends and transitions, but at the same time, be knowledgeable and be cautious um, because like John was saying, this is not something that will happen forever on and on and on. For every good time, it's followed by a bad time. Every bad time, it's followed by a good time. And I like times, are good. times are good right now. So like we say, I know where it's been, where it's at now, so you can kind of be cautious of the future. Hey, really quick, are you uh, are you in your office? Is that San Antonio in the in the background right there? Yes, that is. It's a map of all the zip codes and stuff like that. So you can't really see it, but I got them all uh, darkened out so I can uh, see where they're at. Hell yeah. So that's how you know John's official. If you have a, a, a zip code laminated. map on your wall that's laminated, laminated he, takes it, he takes this seriously. Exactly, exactly. And we have another one in the other room that's a paper map that uh, we want to start pinning properties that we've worked with, whether wholesale flip, rented, owner finance, whatever, start pinning it so over time we can really fill that thing up. Very cool. So, uh, but the next slide, uh, Kirk, if you take us to the next one, you can see what we talk about here with the rents. We don't get, it follows the same exact cycle um, of summertime, like Mar Marco said, of your best time if you are renting. And I tell people this when I present that is, if you're a landlord and you have a property, it's your property. There's no law saying you have to give a 12-month lease or a 24-month lease. So position your rental properties that your leases end in March. To where if they move out at the end of March, you've got April that you can do any kind of renovations and you can capture that next tenant at that next upswing. Um, so it's something to really kind of watch. But you can see here that we've started, we kind of flattened out a little bit this year, but we're following kind of the same trends of prices taking off and rents really starting to uh, go. And so now uh, Mark. By the way, we, yeah, you have a question. Did you see that? Yeah. Um, Okay, I put it up here. What you what do you guys think on market corrections? I'm assuming I, I I don't know if you mean like when do you think it's going to happen, but uh, as far as market corrections, they they always come. And uh, uh, what do I think is actually going to happen? Is Texas seems to be sheltered pretty well. If you look back to 2008, we did not get hit anywhere near as hard as say a Phoenix or a uh, Florida in some sense. But I think it's a lot of it attributed to the way our tax code is structured, where we have very high property taxes. So our cash flows on rental properties aren't as high as some states. So I think if you are holding rental properties uh, and you bought properly to where the cash flow can maintain the investment, you are sitting pretty good. Just buy it, hold it, wait it out is what I'd say you kind of need to do. Um, but and from a flipping standpoint, that's where you really need to be careful because when markets correct equities like or the equity in a property, I use the analogy of uh, stocks and bonds. Rental properties are kind of like your bonds, slow to appreciate over time, but always give you that cash flow. Value and equity is like the stock market, the equities. They go up fast, they fall off fast. So if you think a market correction is coming, which paying attention to this information, looking for early indicators uh, can help you be ready to liquidate a property or be in positions to where uh, you can move uh, properties that have very high demand. I'll talk a little bit about that later, where those areas are, in my opinion, and what we do. Uh, but that is what I think about market, my take on a market correction. Marco, what, what do you say? So <clears throat> as far as market correction, um, I, I, I'm not too, when I try and uh, think about it, I don't try and predict like timeframes, like when it's going to happen. Um, I think that's kind of foolish and, and, you know, it's really just a guessing game and it'd be, uh, I'd be remiss to, to try and pretend that I can time it. However, what I do constantly think of is kind of worst case scenarios. So I personally, Hillary and I, when we invest, we don't take any short term loans, like any uh, six month to 12 month uh, loans. That's a very common loan for flipping. That's just a personal choice that we made. Uh, whenever we um, use private lending, which is our main vehicle for doing our investments, we take a minimum balloon of a three year balloon 
but we shoot for five years or seven years. So in case there's corrections, we have ample time to adjust. And then additionally, with interest rates uh, at, at a lower um, number than where they've been in, in years, years past, this is a great opportunity to refinance and lock in uh, some long-term loans, 30-year fixed rate loans at a low interest rate. So even if there is a correction in the market, um, your financing secure. You don't have um, you don't have to worry about arm type loans or short term loans or anything like that. Right. Uh, you can weather the storm and you can play the long term game. So that's kind of how I look at it. Is more of uh, uh, preparing, thinking kind of worst case scenarios and setting ourselves up. So if any correct if a correction happens tomorrow or a correction happens two years from now, three years from now, uh, we've had the mindset and set ourselves up to where we can adjust appropriately. Correct. And I'd add on to that uh, when it comes to refinancing, locking in low rates. That's, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree, but make sure the investment still makes sense for the long term. Don't refinance because you're getting a bunch of cash out and now you're cash flow negative on an investment property. So you yeah. want to still make don't sure. Don't over leverage. Yeah, don't over leverage and you still have a cushion. And there are the hidden costs of owning a rental property, of maintenance, property management, repairs. So don't even, I, I always, I wouldn't hold a rental property if I don't have at least $300 over the cash flow or have a way to generate that very easily that is non-cyclical. So don't over leverage, make sure you have cash flow, building reserves, and you have ample reserves for that property that you can maintain it because you can sink a rental portfolio very quickly with uh, one property AC goes out, you didn't have the money, you don't have the cash flow, you start pulling from other properties. I see a lot of those properties, uh, Mark, I'm sure you do too, when it comes to, I mean, landlords that have just completely sucked all the cash flow off of it, and now they have to sell to a wholesaler or an investor because you, you can't qualify. You never maintain the property, and they're wondering why they have no equity left. It's like, well, you didn't maintain your property. So real estate does take work, and it does take ongoing maintenance. So don't over leverage where you cannot maintain that through a market correction. Mark, I, I hope that uh, answered your question. If it didn't... Uh, write a follow-up and we'll, we'll continue with that. So uh, I think we'll move great on. Question. To the, great question. Yeah, great question. Um, so to wrap up rents, uh, we're moving up and uh, we're continuing to rise every single, every single year. So something to kind of keep in mind when you're structuring your leases of kind of why I put this up here is if you've got a rental, I, I've done it to where my rental properties, they are uh, structure a seven month lease to make sure it's renewed at the March timeframe uh, to where if I need to make repairs, I can get it on the market and capture that, ne capture that next rise up. That is a huge strategic uh, technique that you should, if you're watching this and you own rental property, you should put a little star next to it and implement immediately. Yeah, Basically, and I, I didn't even think about that uh, at all until I pulled this data and they're like, oh, that makes complete sense. I'm like, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and do that. Well, there's an example of doing research, looking at data, looking at graphs to uh, make changes in your business so that you can have more long-term success. And make sure you guys read um, Mike Quintanilla's uh, dissertation. Quintanilla. Quintanilla, sorry. We're was, in San Antonio, man. You're in Texas now. Quintanilla, I know. I'm still white as hell. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he just wrote an amazing dissertation in the comments section. So make sure you check it out. It's great. I was just reading through it. It's good information. I popped it up on screen for a millisecond and it filled up the whole screen. So I yes. took it off. Yeah. <laughs> so, what it is. so Mike, let's continue. do that conversation in the comments section after we're done. Heck yeah, man. There you go. Wow. So let's, uh, let's jump to the next slide. So here's one of my early indicators uh, that I feel that I constantly want to track is the unemployment rate. Is It's a very key indicator of health of the market. Uh, and you can kind of see this. So this tracks 20 years back. And you can see the last two recessions of the dot-com bubble and the real estate uh, meltdown or the mortgage meltdown. And this is San Antonio? This Yes, this is the San Antonio MSA. This information is provided uh, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, and you can get it from the Texas A&M Real Estate Research Center as well. So what I continue to look on this is just where the unemployment rate is currently sitting at. Uh, you can kind of keep a pulse on the entire nation because they, they – 
it's not hard to find uh, them talking about how tight the labor market currently is. So I watch this stuff as if I start to see that unemployment rising month over month over month, you can see how fast that really took off from a, uh, a low of 3.6, 3.7 in uh, 2006 and seven, And within a matter of six months, it jumped all the way up to seven and a half. Now, real estate is going to take a much longer time to see those changes uh, and those prices to be, uh, to be reflected in the numbers that we track, like the median sales price, the month's inventory, and things like that. So if I start seeing over the course of six months that that unemployment continues to rise and continues to go up it beyond just the normal bouncing up and down around the bottom, that's when I would start to really get concerned and uh, kind of be sounding the alarm and holding off from purchasing new, newer, new flips and uh, getting into bigger projects with shorter term debt and larger projects, uh, especially. So that's something that I think the is very important projects. to watch. The, the higher is- risk projects. Say again? So basically when you're watching that and if you do see upticks, you would stay away or you would minimize your higher risk projects. Correct. I'd be trying to finish up rehabs, get out of those loans, get them sold, get them on the market, possibly lowering the sales price, not trying to push the market. Because if we're topping out and if people don't have jobs, they can't afford to buy homes. Uh, so I would expect to see that to roll over meeting sales prices. So I'd actually might even just undercut the market a little bit because I would expect to see prices starting to fall or level off because I want to get that thing sold. Uh, I don't want to be stuck with a $300,000 renovation uh, that I can't move and I'm paying interest on if I can't sell it. And you, because that interest comes right off your bottom line every single month. Yep. Cool. So let's, uh, we've got no more. Let's go on to the next one. So this is something that uh, I added a couple months ago, and I, I don't know why I didn't have it before, but this is the year-over-year appreciation. And uh, I can only get this back till 2011, but you can see how, like, when the market bottomed out, when the, this is on the median sales prices now as well, that prices were falling year-over-year, year, and you can see how fast that went. So basically from January 2012, it was at a negative 6%. And by April the next year, we were at a positive 6%. So it, it switched and reverted and went the other direction very quickly. And we were holding that uh, 9 10% for several years till about 2015 into 16. And you can see that it kind of started to have a downward trend. And I thought that was a market starting to cool off until these last two months. And now we're sitting back up to 8 7 or 7 8%. Um, and if it continues to go that way, we're going to be right back up to that, uh, those higher appreciations. But I was seeing the long-term trend starting to compress. Uh, and I was attributing that to that values have shot from 135 to 215 and we're having affordability issues and inventory issues. But I think that's one thing that's continuing to drive this is there's just a lack of housing and people are moving here at a very fast rate with the number one net gain city for the first quarter. So, I don't know how that's going to really happen, but appreciation is something that I'm continuing to watch to see if that uh, goes. So, have a Marco. Do you have anything else before we get to this question? No, I, I like that you've uh, drafted this other graph. It's another visualization of uh, some of the information from earlier. And again, um, there's a reason why you are watching this data from a couple different angles because this is uh, the important information to look at uh, to kind of determine what's going on in the market and how to make decisions yourself for your own uh, personal portfolio. Correct. Now, Kirk, was that a a question or just a a comment on the, I think it was a comment from uh, Jonathan Barbera. Love the last name. Um, (laughs) Understanding. He's bald too. Yeah, exactly. It runs. Oh yeah, that's right. Runs in the 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 gene of Barbera's, I think. <laughs> uh, under, so he said it's a comment, and maybe and um, later if there's time, I might actually read Mike Quintanilla's statement because it might be interesting for you guys to comment on what he said. Some interesting stuff, but for now, um, Jonathan said understanding unemployment is great, especially in this market in which most people are making money because the rising market is pulling them out of deals they should have never bought. 
What do you guys think of that? I, I agree with that. It, it's, uh, I think where he's going is make sure you're not getting in the habit of buying properties that don't make sense today and the only out is appreciation. If you get the appreciation, that is awesome. But if you don't get it, that, you don't want that to big. be the only thing that hinges on your that's big. Say that again. Don't do – what is the – I actually love advice? that comment. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, Say that again, please. The, the section of don't get in the habit of buying because there's appreciation. If that's your yeah. only hope that you're going to make profit, you're going to be one of the first to go if that market slows down. Uh, yeah. That appreciation can come and go, and it turns on a dime. And that's where my adage of uh, prices and equity go up fast, but they fall off fast. Like just like the stock market does uh, between and on your basic equity stocks, but uh, the rents kind of work like your bonds. Um, so yeah, yeah, Jonathan uh, says correct. So don't make that your only strategy. Like take advantage of it that it's here. Be happy that it's here, but always keep in the back of your mind that it it won't always be here. If you get in a property, great. You're buying in some of these areas that uh, have a low months inventory that we'll show here in a, a few slides. That's awesome. But don't make that your only strategy. You might make a little adjustment. Be like, hey, I'll probably get some appreciation. I'll, I'll take a little more risk. But don't have that your only strategy to make money on a deal. I, I love the comments from both Johns here. Uh, you guys are killing it. That's why you all are the amazing uh, prime homes. Uh, <clears throat> but to, to further that comment, yes. Um, if you have been investing for a short amount of time, let's just use a number of three years or less. Um, you, what you don't want to do is get caught into a category that experienced investors that have been investing for a long, long time have seen come and go. It's a group of people that jump into the market because they've seen all the different shows. They think it's exciting. You know, real estate investing is easy. They think it's really easy. And they buy properties undisciplined. <clears throat> And they buy properties at price points they really shouldn't be buying due to lack of uh, knowledge, research, uh, looking at data like this. But also they've been um, – these new investors are rewarded over and over because of this inflated market, this really robust market, which is not a typical market. You've been saying that over and over again. This is not a, a typical market for our city. Um, and these newer investors get rewarded. Hey, I flipped it, and it was really simple. I made a bunch of money on it, or I made good money on it, and they want to do it again, and then they end up uh, paying higher and higher prices, and they get out of the range of where you need to be to compensate for worst-case scenarios, and that's not the position you want to be. You want to maintain a long-term perspective, not a short-term perspective, so that you can weather the storms, and whenever there's drops in the market, you have longevity and you can live through it rather than where this has happened time and time again through all these real estate cycles because the real estate market is cyclical. Uh, whenever a, a hot market uh, where you go from a top and then it bottoms out, which has happened multiple times in the past, there's a whole chunk of people that just get wiped out. They go bankrupt. Wow. They go belly up. They lose all their life savings. You've heard the stories in the past. Those are the people that were buying too high, that got they thought it was easy when things were going up, they get excited, those type of things, and they buy in the, the wrong price points. And then when things shift, they didn't have that built-in cushion and then they get wiped out. So don't be that person. If you've done things and you're like, or you've done some deals and you're like, hell, that was super easy. There might be a reason for that. Reflect on that. Take advantage of, hey, you were able to do that deal. Now let's try and be a little bit more conservative or buy a little bit deeper on the next one so you can position yourself for long-term sustained uh, um, business. So, and I, 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 I completely agree with everything you said. It's like, understand why your deal made money. Like, why did you actually value add? Look at the deal going backwards. Look at your books. Look at your construction budget from where you started to where you're at and make sure it's like, did I get lucky or did this actually work out from the beginning? Because that's what caused a lot of areas to crash so fast is people were buying for the appreciation alone. Buy it one year, next year it's worth $20,000 more, sell it off. And that's a house of cards that uh, is ready to come crashing down. And you can see that happen. If you look back to the 2008 and some of the areas, I know Phoenix got hit really hard of those areas. Uh, it's exactly what happens. People were buying only because the prices were going up. But 
what happens when price is going up and you cannot rent that property and you're stuck in an arm and your mortgage is going up. Like, so understand what an investment is and ask those questions of people that have asked, have experience and um, know what they're looking at and analyze your deals after they're done and make sure appreciation is not the only reason you're making, uh, making money. So, so we have, um, so I think I'm going to be the official reader of Mike Quintanilla because he's giving these <laughs> brilliant little statements. I feel like you're going to have to have him his, on the show instead of me at some point in the near future. <laughs> uh, so his, he, his comment grew on you, huh? Percolated. Yeah. But he has another one, and this one is um, oh, okay. he says, uh, based on what you guys are talking about. He says, I would also point out that unemployment as an indicator is useful, which John talked about earlier, but should also be looked at with other metrics like the state's private sector GDP. Because there are many people like myself who are not classified as unemployed or employed in the typical sense because we have our own business. So other data, I think Mike is actually suggesting adding more data to your already all comprehensive data analysis. And I, mean, I think that's a, that's a great point. And I mean, as soon as you mentioned it, it's like, man, that would actually be really good to have is to see like, yes, we're employing people, but is the gross domestic product of uh, GDP of San Antonio actually increasing or are we just hiring uh, very low wage entry level positions that aren't increasing the wealth that San Antonio can generate? So, uh, Mike, I, I really appreciate that uh, comment. That's a very good one, and I, I think that is a great uh, place. I'm sure the data is out there. I just gotta, I gotta find it, and that's the whole thing with this is I gotta find all this stuff and put it somewhere. So, Marco, you got anything on that? Excellent. Yeah, excellent comment, Mike. Uh, yes, when it comes to data, uh, you can. There's a rabbit hole. You can always go down. You can always improve the numbers or look at it from different perspectives. When it comes to unemployment, um, the the big component people don't know is that um, and unemployment numbers are based on people that are have been currently looking for jobs. I believe it's within a six-month time frame. And it also accounts for not only full-time jobs, but also part-time jobs as well. So, um, you know, the fact that some people are transitioning from full-time jobs to part-time jobs can sometimes skew the numbers a little bit. But regardless... Um, you have to be knowledgeable of the numbers. There's always, you want to look at one graph, then you add some filters, maybe you look at another graph. That's why John here is not just looking at unemployment numbers. He is looking at everything. He's looking at appreciation. He's looking at you know inventory. He's looking at rental rates. You have to look at data from all different perspectives so that you can have a more bird's eye view perspective overall of the market that you're looking at and have a clear understanding of where uh, things are moving. So, yeah, I'm definitely making a note right now to see if I can find that because I, I think that's a very good point and a very good indicator of uh, the health of our market is the GDPs of not only San Antonio but Texas as a whole. Uh, so, Mike, appreciate that. Uh, I love it, love it. Um, so let's head on to the next section where a lot of people really like is, like, now where do you market based on all this information that I talk about, uh, month's inventory uh, and price points. So this is something that I download the data from the MLS every single month uh, to compile this stuff and then break it down into these different zip codes and price ranges. So, Mark, uh, Kirk, let's go on to the next section before I keep talking. Hey, real, real quick, I just want to quickly mention, so this part is like the super gold, okay? This is what investors are looking for. And quite honestly, um, this is really special information that John has put together here that he doesn't have to share uh, out there in the marketplace because quite honestly, this is uh, information that he took the time to compile that really can help his business and um, you know, kind of creates a little bit of competition with, uh, for him in these areas. However, um, this is why John and his other partner, John, as well as the individuals at Prime Homes, make sure to go to their page, their page and follow them. They're pretty rad dudes. Um, but they have the uh, the, re uh, the right mentality, which is a, uh, an overabundance and a help helpful mentality rather than a scarcity mentality. So uh, he's about to go into these numbers, but they're open books. You all should reach out to them, follow them, and uh, I think um, they're a great relationship to cultivate if you're in this real estate investment space. Thanks, Marco. I'm blushing here. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, 
Yeah, and like Marco said, it's like I'm not trying to hoard this stuff. I got asked to present it. I, I put it around. I, I don't hide this stuff at all. Uh, but what you're looking at here is going back to the month's inventory. It's like where is the highest demand uh, for property in the city, keeping in mind that uh, six months is balanced. The lower the number gets, the more higher demand, less inventory there is for those properties, which is supply and demand is going to push prices up. So this is where I was talking about earlier that if you're getting into homes, you start to see things change. Uh, make sure you know your numbers and what the desirability of your house is. So you can really see here, like if you're sub 250,000, there is not a lot of inventory on the market, especially under 200,000. Um, and you can kind of see that there's a shelf that once you get above the 250,000, it jumps almost an entire month. Uh, so, the San Antonio has always been known as a, an affordable city and it's very quickly not becoming that. And the data supports that by looking at uh, the $150,000 to $200,000 price range of 1.6 months of inventory across the entire city. Like that is not a lot of inventory. If it, a month and a half, every house that is for sale on that price range would be gone. Uh, so that is really going to be pushing those prices up. And that jump of that one month from two fifty dollars to 300 used to be the price point from 200 to 250 this time last year. And now that gap has shrank and you can kind of see the numbers on the side. The number of properties sold is they are moving up in those price ranges. So there's a very, very high demand for properties in those price ranges. So that's where a lot of our investments and our renovations are focused um, in those zip codes. Like we try to stay, if we have one or two, three going on, we try to keep the bulk of them in that price range to where if we needed to liquidate, we can get it done. We can get it done quick and uh, don't have to worry too much about being stuck in a high $500,000 property because you'll see some of these zip codes on the next slide uh, why those areas might not be as good. Um, not this slide, the next one. So, Well, really quick comment uh, on the, the slide that you were on. Um, <clears throat> what really stands out to me, like if I was an investor, whether a landlord or even a flipper, flipper really is uh, good data here. Um, the the range that really stands out the most was the 150 to 200 range, clearly, because there was obviously a progression on the length of time, and then there's a big drop in that little range. So that seems to be the hottest little range because it's probably the most amount of buyers looking for that price point and the you know the least amount of properties available so right. that's what's really causing them to move so quickly but if you're not able to get a house in the 150 to 200 range um the whole pocket from 100 to 200,000 uh is a really good prop pocket to be in that seems to be where there's a, a big amount of buyers and properties generally in that realm are moving pretty quickly yes i agree I agree. So uh, let's hop and, and if you're buying a house over a million dollars, that's a long-term investment. You're going to be holding yeah. that thing for yeah, at least a year. Almost a year of inventory on those uh, price ranges. <laughs> now the next section we go over is, uh, so this was by price range. Now I do it by zip code. It's like, where does the most people want to live? Where's the highest demand? And these numbers get even smaller than the price ranges. So these used to be all sub 200,000, but that has drastically changed uh, over the last year. And we're starting to see more numbers in the 200 range starting to appear in that. And if you guys know anything about San Antonio, uh, you look at 78240, the second zip code there, 1.23 months. You look at 78249, 247, 250. Those are very, very large zip codes with a lot of housing. Uh, subdivisions that have been built and developed decades in the past. And they're looking at 1.2, 1.5, 1.7 months of inventory. So very desirable areas and not a lot of inventory. So there's a very strong demand for housing for those prices to increase in those areas as you're holding them. And like we talked about, don't make that your only investment strategy that you're going to buy and make money once it appreciates. It's kind of just icing on the cake, little cherry on top if you get it. But what I look at is how fast you can sell those properties. So uh, you price it right, you get it sold, and uh, you're not going to be holding it for a very long time if you're in some type of loan that is short-term, hard money, uh, private money, whatever it may be, you're not going to be holding it very long and uh, can get rid of that house 
pretty quickly because there's a lot of demand for those zip codes in those areas because uh, they, they are hot and prices are moving up. 78247 is a zip code that has been on this thing for ever since we started. And that, that's just to the east of uh, 281 inside 1604, good size zip code. And uh, a year ago, that was at like 180, and now we're up at 205. So I know some people that live in that area, their equity has substantially gone up um, over the last year or two years. By the way, there's a comment from this company called Prime Homes. Um, maybe to add what you're talking about. Uh, I don't know who's, who, who is it that would be doing this, John? Just curious. Uh, it'd be the, uh, Jonathan that's doing that. Oh, okay, cool. So, this is also, so he's trying to hide himself, not, not put out the, the bald headed <laughs> Jonathan Barbera. Uh, so he says, also keep in mind that hot zip codes sometimes bring up the neighboring zip codes. So it may make sense to look at the zip codes next to the hot ones to buy rentals. So, uh, that's yeah, a great, that's a great point. Yeah, what, he, what he's getting at there is like the 78250 uh, zip code. I mean, right next to that one is 78251, which was on here last uh, month. That's right below the top 10. I think it's in the top 15. Uh, so it drives it, – it does flow over to what is driving those areas. So it can be if you're looking for rental properties, uh, you might be able to pick up next because as inventory squeezes in 78250, 247 – it's going to roll over into other areas because people can't find homes in those areas or keep getting bit out. They're going to move somewhere else. So it's going to kind of spread out uh, from those areas. So as a quick side note, <clears throat> clearly uh, he broke down the zip codes here and it's really uh, easy to see you uh, based on the order here, which ones are the, are the great ones, the hot ones, but it's uh, you might not know all your zip codes. You might not know where, 78250 is in the city. So a really quick and easy way that you can do this is go to maps.google.com. That'll bring up your typical Google Maps um, website. We can search for an address. But rather than typing an address, go to the search bar and type in the zip code. And Google will take you to that zip code and outline and highlight the area that is that zip code. And that'll be a quick uh, determine where the zip code is and what um, area or within the zip code itself. Or you can be a, a really cool guy like John there and get yourself a laminated zip <laughs> code map. Amazon, like 15 bucks. That's pretty cheap. There you go. You can study every day. There you go. It's always behind me. So let's uh, go on to the next section of the, the worst zip codes. Now, I've been criticized a little bit sometimes, like, why are these the worst? Like, I flipped in those areas and it was the best deal I ever did. It's not to say they're bad. What the worst zip code is, they just have the worst months of inventory. So they have the most properties for sale. Uh, and I kind of mentioned this a lot is just know the numbers that in your competition level. So you can understand, uh, Hey, I might need to actually do some staging professional photos. I need to do a little higher end kitchen to make sure my investment is not one of the ones that is sitting on here for three and a half, four or five months as you go up, because you think about these price ranges, it's no surprise to see all but one in the uh, 300,000 plus ranges. So if you're holding the property for three, four, five months, that's an expensive uh, loan payment. If you're on a hard money loan, private money loan, 10%, 12, 14, whatever you're paying, and that's going to come right off your bottom line. So I would encourage to look at not just the zip code, but your specific neighborhood. And it's pretty easy to do. You just highlight that area. You take the number of active homes and divide it by the number of properties sold the previous month to see how much inventory and how quickly that neighborhood is moving to gauge your competition level. So you can make the determination, hey, I'm going to spend an extra $1,500 to $2,000 on staging because that's going to get me above my competition level and that's going to be cheaper than in the long run trying to go cheap, not pay that, and sit on the market for an extra two, three months uh, in that hard money loan and making those interest payments. So keep that in, uh, in mind that when you're starting a renovation, you're looking at a property, gauge your competition level and the health of that area and how fast those properties are moving in the desirability of those zip codes. Yeah, maybe, maybe the way to think of it rather than worst is these are going to be your more difficult zip codes that you're going to have to take the extra steps like you were mentioning, staging, professional photography, uh, because there's more uh, competition or for whatever reason they stay on the market a little bit longer. 
So uh, think of it that way. It doesn't mean that you can't do a home run deal there. Just plan appropriately, maybe extend your holding costs, time frame a little bit longer, uh, those type of things. So just plan appropriately. Just know your numbers. Understand what an investment makes money and equity. Appreciation does not make your investment. Don't keep, that's like become the theme of uh, this one, I, I feel like. So, I mean, Mark, if you don't got anything else, uh, I mean, you can go to the next slide there, Kirk. And that's really all we have as far as the uh, slides go. Um, and if you guys do want a copy of the PDF of these, feel free to shoot an email at John at Prime Homes. I would encourage you to go to primehomes.com and subscribe to our, we call it the Investor's Digest. And we do email out the, the PDF copy every single month. So in case you missed this or you want to review this information later, uh, please go ahead. Uh, we're on social media, Instagram and Facebook. And we also, this last uh, couple months, we've started uh, doing a podcast that uh, Mark and I have to get you on there sometime that John and I talk about what, yeah. what we do in our business every single day to make it run like we do uh, and the tips and tricks and experiences we have. There's not We don't sell anything. We just kind of run over how we put a scope of work together, how to deal with uh, contractor issues, driving for dollars, marketing, all just little things about uh, real estate. So head over to all of the podcasts and uh, give it a listen and uh, appreciate if you gave a, a five-star review and uh, a comment and let us know what you liked and didn't like about it. Yeah, the name of the podcast is An Investor's Journey. And just to kind of reiterate on their podcast, there's a lot of podcasts out there on real estate, but the unique thing that both John and John bring uh, to the perspective of this podcast is, um, yes, they talk about the theory and the overlapping concepts, which a lot of podcasts do, but where they really shine is they give you the nitty gritty specifics, uh, action steps, things that they're actually implementing in their business, some of the learning lessons or experiences so there's some true tangible items that you can walk away with and implement in your own business rather than just always talking about theory. So that's something that's really um, insightful and helpful uh, for you as you're growing your business. Exactly. So uh, with that, I mean, that kind of concludes the market update. I mean, Kirk, is there any comments that uh, questions we want to go over? Does anybody got anything else? Uh, please encourage to write a comment so we can uh, see what we got. So Kirk, I see you. Would you have- we do have one question. Maybe we can end on this. Do you see any signs of a housing crash in the near future? So you guys touched on that. I don't know if you wanted to say, um, I, I know Mike Quintanilla had a, a, a dissertation on his views about the future crash. So I, don't, Matt, I would don't get Mike started. He'll, yeah. he'll just be going and going. He'll write a novel. I'll, I'll answer a little there. bit on that. Uh, Matt, I appreciate the question is the, I don't see any signs of a housing crash in the stuff that I follow right now. Uh, I do have some growing concerns of prices continuing to rise. I don't think they can continue to rise like this as fast as they're rising year over year. Uh, I don't necessarily see it crashing. I could see it leveling off and we're not getting those massive appreciation jumps like we have been in the last several years. So I don't see it necessarily crashing um, at all. And like, but that is also why I follow this information because I want to know because I did not start investing in 2007 and eight, so I didn't see how that went. All I can look is the data from that time point, the other markets, and try to make a best prediction of why they crashed harder than the rest. Uh, and Texas didn't crash anywhere near as hard as other places. So I don't necessarily crashing. I could very easily see it leveling off, maybe dropping a little bit to where there are more uh, sound appreciations and jobs uh, being created to sustain these levels of housing prices just because we have such a shortage and they can't build houses, uh, quality homes under 200000 anymore. So that's my kind of rebuttal or answer to, do I see a housing crash coming? Marco, you got anything on that? Yeah, yeah. my quick comment is very similar to what I said earlier. Um, you know, Obviously, there's going to be some sort of correction. Real estate is cyclical. So right now we're on the uptrend. So a downtrend is at some point in the future, whether that's a small or a large downtrend, we don't know. For me, I don't really try and predict too much. uh, But what I do try and do is uh, keep a more of a worst case kind of scenario mindset so that, you know, whatever I put our money into our time our energy and whatever I add to our investment portfolio um, is under the mind that if there were a crash, 
how we would handle it and that we're still secure and that uh, the deal still makes sense. And keeping that mentality is how we approach. Uh, maybe we don't make the most money in the world because we didn't capitalize on every single deal out there. But the goal is not making the most money. The goal is uh, withstanding ups and downs and having a long-term business so that we have the capability to make more money in the future. Miller is ready for the crash, she says. <laughs> she's prepared, man. She's got so, well, all they, of her hey, gold coins and her, she's got her uh, cans of beans and all that stuff. And her, yeah. uh, Loaded up with Bitcoin. Her, ready to go. go. Prepared. Bitcoin for the crash? Oh, okay. Interesting. Um, cool. So any other last comments for you guys before we wrap it up here? All right. Uh, sounds like I no. Last thing okay. I'll say is uh, John put on the slide earlier. You can reach out to him uh, at his email address. So you can get more information. This video we're going to keep up. So even though you didn't catch it live, it'll be in replay. You can watch it over and over again. Pause on the slides. Comment and question in the comment section, uh, uh, even though it's not live. And we will still go in afterwards, respond. This is a conversation. John compiled this information to be helpful and to garner a conversation amongst like-minded investors that want to improve uh, their status moving into the future. So uh, let's help one another and let's communicate with one another. Yeah, and support the show, the Real Estate Climate Show Market Analysis by commenting if you haven't already, loving and liking and giving all that stuff and sharing it. Please share the share the comment. This is, you know, John and Marco put a lot of time into this, especially John put a ton of time into putting this together. Like Marco was saying, it's free. He doesn't charge anything, although he probably could if he wanted to. So share some love by, you know, um, sharing the video and helping us spread the word about the content. So. Agreed. I think that's I think that's it. Um, John and Marco, thank you guys. Thank there you. Isn't, there's yeah. a, there's there's comments still coming in, so they're gonna keep coming in. Ryan, Ian, uh, Hillary, they're, they're they're talking to each other, so we'll come in the comments. Keep commenting, keep enjoying enjoying the content, and we will see you for the July update of the real estate climate. Correct. Correct. Right. See you guys next month. Peace.